This week on Writers Inc. Starts with when we finish a book, we feel totally empty, yeah. uh, and we do you know boring things. We clean the house, and we yeah. you know everything that we skipped doing uh, <laughs> when we were finishing. So, uh, and we always feel that is there a story? Uh, will there be ever a story again? And and then after a while. Maybe a couple of days, we start to yes. think about things. Have, yeah, have an idea. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. JD Barquero, como esta? <laughs> oh man, not you too. <laughs> It's funny when when you're uh, for me like when I'm in a foreign country where nobody speaks the you know speaks English like I I feel like I'm in this bubble and like I can hear American accents from like five miles away you know like a, a radar goes off like there's one down the street like right around the corner um, but like it feels so good to get back someplace where they speak English and I, to be totally fair like almost everybody in in I was in Madrid by the way like I guess we should have probably led with that um, almost everybody over there speaks English. You know, and like I can't speak, you know, outside of what I've learned at Taco Bell, like I can't speak any Spanish. <laughs> I can say you burrito. Know, so like, yeah. So like I am the I'm like so selfish. Like I you know, I travel and I kind of expect people to just be, be able to speak whatever language I'm speaking, like just typical American stuff. And I was on tour for part of it with um a guy named John Conley. Um and he learned Spanish, he told me, in three months. He took he classes five days a week for eight hours a day or, or something insane and he was fluent in it. And I'm like, that's probably what I need to do. Just like some crazy crash course, you know, or watch Spanish soap operas 24 seven or something just to pick up on it. Um, but yeah, it was a, a crazy book tour. So I, I basically landed in uh, Madrid um, and it was six o'clock in the morning, their time. And like, I got zero sleep on the plane, you know, so I basically got no rest and just hit the ground running. They, they put me in another plane and we flew to uh, Valencia. Um, and as soon as we got off that plane, it was like in a taxi to a television station. We did that interview and then another interview and then another interview and then a bookstore. And like that particular day didn't slow down until about 1130 that night. Oh. Um, and they, they do everything like later than, than we do. So like lunch for them was two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon and dinner was like 10 o'clock at night. Um, so like I was just dying, like I was okay until I stopped moving. But like the second, like I just had a chance to stand still, like it just kind of caught up to me. Um, but, but it was crazy. I was there for callers game. Um, and like, I knew that forum K series sold really well there. Uh, and I, and I've got a lot of fans there, but I didn't realize that at what level, I mean, we had like two to 300 people show up at, at every appearance, which was just unbelievable. Like I just, I wasn't expecting that. And it was just, it was so cool to, you know, see people come out in those kind of numbers. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to be home. <laughs> I was starting, was starting to ask you before we recorded and we're like, no, we should save this. Um, that obviously takes a big chunk out of your your work time. Uh, it disrupts your your family situation. How do you come home and measure whether or not that was a, a success? Like whether you do it again? Do you have any choice in the matter? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can always say say no. Um, like a big portion of my sales come from those places. We were talking about this too. Like I, I'm I'm finishing up my taxes for last year, and my accountant said that Amazon, like Kindle type sales and stuff like that, only accounts for about fifteen percent of my author in, uh, income at this point. So it's actually a much smaller number than what I thought it was, and and most of it is is foreign publishers with print deals and and things like that. Um, so like and, and you know Spain or Spanish, you know the Spanish market for me is one of one of my biggest. Um, so it, it's definitely worth doing. And, you know, like you, you feel that too, when you're there, you know, like everybody that I talked to, I mean, like people drove, you know, like three, four hours just to, you know, to come out and see me, which like, I, I'm not that excited. Like, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Um, but I wouldn't you know, even do that when you were in Gatlinburg. And I yeah, exactly. Like all you have to do is, you know, hop in your car five minutes or whatever. But, um, you know, like being able to, to touch base with fans like that and, you know, especially in a foreign country and, and, and you know, I, I sent you some of the pictures and, you know, like literally every bookstore had my book on the, in, you know, not just in the store, but like in the front window with like some giant display. Um, they you know, knew you were coming. 
Yeah, yeah, they probably changed it out as soon as I walked by. <laughs> um, but yeah, like seeing that kind of stuff, like it just it recharges the batteries on a level that I just can't explain. And like it just, you know, I, and, and I was working while I was there because I'm an insane workaholic. So every plane, every train, you know, whenever I got a chance, I was I was pounding out the words. Um, and the nice thing is because they did start like later in the day, like our, our day didn't start until like 1030 or 11. You know, I was still getting up at, at, at six, seven you know, o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I knocked out most of my words before the day even started. So that was kind of nice, too. So from my standpoint, like as long as I've got the words out of the way, then I can kind of relax and, and and do whatever it is they want me to do. If I wasn't able to get the words done and, you know, then got on this crazy ride, you know, like interview after interview after interview and like all the stuff they do after, like I, that would be weighing on me. I would be thinking about the words that I didn't write and, until later. The, the hardest part for me is like you basically, the second you step out, like I, I have to dial it up to 11 and, and kind of keep it there, you know, because, it, you know, when you're doing an interview, you know, you have to be excited about, you know, this book. And, you know, for me, Caller's Game came out a couple of years ago, you know, so it's a new release there. But here in the States, it's, you know, been a year and a half, two years or whatever. Um, I've had other releases since then. So you have to get excited about something that, you know, like I had to go back and just kind of refresh myself on re-read the book. It, re-read the book. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I'm working on the screenplay, so that helps a lot. But, you know, like they're, they're, these people, you know, like they, they show up with copies where they've got you know, passages highlighted and stuff, and they want me to talk about these different things. Like I have to really, you know, get in there. Um, so that's fun. And, and, and when you do a lot of interviews, the one thing that I, I kind of get burnt out um, to a certain extent because, you know, you, you tell these same stories over and over and over again, and you have to make it sound like it's fresh every single time you tell it um, but when they schedule back-to-back interviews like I had one day where there were six different publications in a row like Esquire and Guardian magazine and Politico and, and stuff like that um, I got to the point where I couldn't remember if I actually told a particular story you know because I had just told it to somebody else an hour earlier um, you know and like you get further and further into the day and it, you know that kind of stuff gets gets a little crazy um, but I mean totally fun I mean I, I absolutely love it um, you know, I, and I, I think it's definitely worth the, you know, the jet lag and everything that, that comes with it to be able to do something like that. Yeah. Nice. Now, now you know what it feels like when ACDC plays back in black yeah. <laughs> for the, for the, you know, 200,000th time or whatever. They, they always sound excited when they get up there and do it, you know, so. That's great, man. And you're the, the Spanish mustache you you brought back looks good on you. <laughs> Dude, I can't grow facial hair to save my life. <laughs> no, nobody's gonna buy that. <laughs> oh, nice. What's Zach, going on with you guys? I was gonna say, Zach, you uh, you don't really have anything going on this week, huh? Pretty normal Not at stuff. All. I haven't been to Spain, so <laughs> <clears throat> I heard Rome is really nice. But so I'm glad you. I'm, I'm just joking. That was a bad joke. Uh, no, I don't have anything really rider related. I've just been moving, so. I wish people could actually see me because you just there's just a microphone in front of my face because I'm like on a little TV table. Uh, don't even have a desk because I'm getting a new desk. So um, nothing super interesting though, rider related going on. Just been moving, so um, that's kind of been my week. I will throw this out there and let people because I mentioned it last week and I uh, some people I, I got I got a little bit of a response, but I'll just throw it out there again this week too. Um, if uh, anyone is looking for editing, um, you can hit me up. I uh, have some openings to my schedule, even though I don't know how long that's going to last now because uh, talking about it on the podcast last week helped. Um, so, but uh, just hit me up, zbbwrites at gmail.com or just go to zachbohannon.com and you can contact me there. So, but yeah, nothing, nothing much going on here. All right, cool. Yeah, my friend, uh, if you're playing the old career author podcast game, uh, take a shot because I started another podcast. Weird. Uh, this one, this one is, a, is a project with my teenage daughter, which makes it even better than this thing we're doing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it makes it one of the best uh, podcasts ever. But it's called The Music NFT Show, and it's about music NFTs. So I'm... Uh, you know, over the past year or so, I've been really getting into Web3 stuff, and I'm a big music fan, and it feels like uh, music is about to have its moment in the NFT spotlight, and there's a lot of really fun and interesting stuff going on, and it's a passion I share with uh, with Q, my daughter. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know where it's going or where it'll end up, but um, take a shot because uh, Jay started another podcast. So there you go. Is there like a punch card or something? like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just a very point. long running joke because he started so many podcasts. So. Too, yeah, too many. Too many to count. Yep. So, yep. But yeah, congrats on launching another one. I, I know we've been talking behind the scenes. I know you're really excited about this and what's going on in that space. So we're, uh, I know I'm ex- I'm, I've am i been excited to check it out. So Yeah, 
Yeah, more to, and uh, more on that to come. So let's take care of some business, and then we'll get to the interview. Want to give a wonderful shout out to Kobo Writing Life, our wonderful sponsor. You know that if you're going to publish a book wide, that you've got to go through Kobo Writing Life. You get to set your price. Uh, you can take advantage of all these opportunities in other countries like Spain and uh, without any exclusivity. And you can do that at KoboWritingLife.com. I also want to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, Atticus. So uh, this week, I've been working on moving a lot of my old titles into Atticus and reformatting them and kind of getting them nice and clean and updated. And it's been a dream. I love Atticus. It's, uh, I, can, I can import a Mobi file. I can import a Word doc. Uh, and with one click, I got ebook and, and PDF formatting. So it is a wonderful project. I even started writing a little bit in it. I was revising an old book, and uh, I just started started working in there, and it was it was great. So uh, make sure you check out Atticus. Um, that's our buddy Dave Chesson runs that company. If you're looking for formatting, um, that's definitely a tool with uh, writing collaboration on its way. So with the business out of the way, uh, who is our guest this week, JD? All right, so this should be fun. We've got Lars Kepler. So from the bio, the number one best-selling international author whose thrillers have sold more than 12 million copies in 40 languages. Here's the part they don't tell you. Lars Kepler is two people. It's a husband and wife uh, writing team, which is, has got to be an interesting combination. Uh, their, their new book is called The Mirror Man. It came out earlier this year. So, uh, so I'm not sure how we introduce them. Here, here they are, Lars Kepler. <laughs> Let's go with that. I'm not sure who I want to ask this to, but I'm wondering who gets the final word on a story decision in one of the books. Uh, oh wow! <laughs> good question. Very well, good question. Um, oh, I think for us the cooperation is very important, and uh, well, sometimes of course we don't agree, but uh, then when we don't agree, it, it's because there's something wrong yeah. with the plot, you know? So we have to go back and uh, see why. So we take a step back actually. So, so okay, we, we always solve the disagreements with conversation because yeah. our whole creative process is built on conversation. So we have to do that, you know, two writers, we must agree in but, the end. But I think in the end it's, Alexander, who <laughs> gets the last oh. word. He's very stubborn. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I knew if I waited long enough, one of you would say, okay, it's me or it's them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to let the listener in on, on the inside joke here. Uh, I'm speaking to Alexander and Alex, but you write as Lars Kepler. Uh, so uh, who is Lars Kepler? T tell, us, tell us the origin story. Well, um, we had been married for many years. We already had three daughters when we decided to write together. We, we were already yeah, writers in our right. own names. But we wanted to try to do it together. And uh, so we started with a children's book because our children were pretty small by then. Uh, but it was a disaster. Uh, we couldn't agree on it. On anything? Yeah, no, anything. no. It was, it was fights <laughs> all the time. So we tried to write a play for the theater because I've written a lot of drama and Alexandra has been uh, an actress for many years. So we thought maybe that's that's a key. But it didn't work out. No, it, it was, was the same problem. It was even worse. We almost got di a divorce. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no. So we, but we didn't want to give up. So, so we, we gave, gave it a third chance. And... Then we came up with the idea to, to create another author, which is you know, not me or, or not Alexandra, just a person of his, of his own. And I said, his name is Kepler. I don't know where it came from. Of course, it came from Johannes Kepler, the scientist, but I didn't know why I said that our writer's name was Kepler yeah. as his surname. And then I said, and Lars, it's Lars. So, uh, so we just, had Lars Kepler and immediately we had this tone, this atmosphere, and we could leave our egos behind and just, you know, go into this um, persona. Yeah, and, it, and it's been a creative flow since then. It's like, a, we call it a, it's a jazz jam session. We just play along and yeah. listen to each other. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, we're, we're certainly going to 
get more into your co-writing situation. I think for our writers, they're always curious as to how two people co-write, especially a husband and wife team. I, I know with, yeah. <laughs> with my wife, I can't co-write a shopping list with her, so I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> we recognize that. <laughs> But uh, you also have a new book out that's doing phenomenally well. It's getting great reviews. I was uh, hooked. I could not put it down. It's called The Mirror Man. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll try to make it a little easier on you. I'll, Alex, can you give us the sort of the elevator pitch or the, the synopsis for the book? <laughs> well, um, it starts uh, with a, a homicide. A girl, a young woman is found uh, uh, hanged by her neck on a playground in the middle of Stockholm in the middle of the night. Um, and our detective inspector, Jonah, Jonah Lina, he managed to trace a witness uh, via uh, surveillance, 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 cameras. surveillance cameras. So he sees this man with a dog. And when he managed to trace the man, uh, it's apparent that this man is mentally ill. He, he can't remember anything of what he saw. He almost doesn't speak at all. Uh, so Jonah has to uh, ask his old friend, the hypnotist, for help. And that's the start of a plot. Yeah, and I think that maybe The Mirror Man is one of our darkest stories ever. And actually, when we wrote it, it was so intense sometimes that we had to leave our computers and just go out on the balcony and try to breathe yeah. a bit because we always write about what we fear the most. Mm. And um, well, well it's, it's maybe strange, but it, but it works for us. It's, I think it's a way to handle our own fears, to write these horrific stories, you know, because you, when you write, Fiction. You go on a journey from chaos to order, from questions to answers, moving towards justice in one way. And that helps, actually. Uh, yeah, so even if it's a really dark story, we still feel that it's optimistic in a way. Because in these books, you can actually have a... You can catch the perpetrator and you have uh, heroes <laughs> and you get your answers. So it's, it's a room for, for a lot of heart too. Yeah. Um, and That's very I important for need, us. I think we need it anyway. Yeah, as a, as a parent of two children, I there were moments in this book where I just felt I just felt tightness in my chest. I could I could <laughs> almost feel myself in, in the moment. Uh, and and I, I won't I won't spoil anything for listeners who haven't read it yet because there's a wonderful reveal in this that's mind blowing. Uh, but I do want to ask you about your research. Um, I know that you you've typically you know prior to the pandemic you did a lot of uh, uh, research physically in the location. Uh, Alexandra, how did that change for this book or did it? Um, well, this is our eighth book. So in, in the series about Jonah Lina and, um, and uh, so there's a lot of research that we already have done. So some things we know quite well about forensic techniques and police work, but this time, um, well, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> Uh, we talked to a lot of psychiatrists, yeah. uh, uh, so it, it, that was a, a special part of this story. We always want to have like a deep psychological heart in our stories, but this time it was uh, a lot about um, mental illness. Uh, yeah, since this witness, the only witness that Jonah can trace that was standing in front of this homicide, uh, didn't speak, didn't remember. So we had to dive into that kind of research. And research is always, uh, it's so interesting because it, that's why being a writer is the best job ever because we can become experts suddenly of a small part of the mind. And uh, yeah. You can you know, study something for weeks just for half a chapter, you know, and you learn a lot. And it's, it's great. And you always, always think what you, you know, what you're looking for when you do the, your research, but it's always something different that comes up and pushes your story in a little bit new direction. 
Mm. I love that. It's it's input. I was, and also, yeah, it's no. also wonderful to to um, to be in a city like we are in Stockholm because the mirror man is happening just outside our apartment and uh, and that's also a nice way to look at your city from the <laughs> eyes of you know a researcher <laughs> yeah yeah it can get you into places that maybe you normally couldn't get into as well <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> Let's talk about your writing process for a moment. I, I want to start with uh, the obvious. Uh, I don't think English is your first language, and yet I, I, I thought the English was was phenomenally well done. Do you write in English? Do you have it translated? What's that process look like? We we have a translator. Yeah, so we write in Swedish. Yes, uh, but all Swedes uh, understand English, and we study English at school, so we can can read in. Yeah, and we can work with, very closely with our American publishing house. So, and uh, they do, uh, I think, a tremendous job mm. by trying to make the text, um, you know, reasonable for, for the American ear. Mm. And uh, I'm so happy that you say this because it's so important for us that that the text doesn't feel translated, if you know what I mean, but uh, that it feels natural mm. for the American ear. Uh, yes, and, and that has happened. And I, obviously, I'm coming from one perspective. You know, there's more ty uh, types of people in the world than only Americans. But whenever <laughs> I've read a translated book, if if the translation isn't good, it does pull me out of the story. It can be a, yeah, a turn absolutely. of phrase or a certain word that's misused, yeah, and, and it, it pulls you out. So, yeah. yeah, totally. And we we are being translated, I think, into. Uh, 40 languages, 40 languages and uh, so we can't control uh, how, it's just, how well, English, it's just English we can control. Maybe Norwegian. But. <laughs> yes. So uh, this means so much that there's a good translator and a publishing house that really cares about yeah. the work text. Top notch for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I know that... Um, in doing research for your interview, I know that you work very closely together in your collaborative process. You say that you both touch every aspect of the book at all at all times. So, uh, what would a tip? Let's say you're working on a book. It's a Tuesday morning, and you two are working on it. What's that look like? Well, it depends on where in the process, of course. Uh, okay. But a typical day is not um, plotting or something like that. It's just writing. So we sit in this small study, <laughs> side by side, one computer each, and we write and it's quiet and this uh, rattling sound from the <laughs> keyboards <laughs> and that's it. And then we email each other text all the time. It's, so we, it's old fashioned email, but we do that. So it's, I email my computer is right here, <laughs> one meter away. So I email one meter, bling, to Alexandra and she emails me, bling, and then we continue. Yes, and fill in the gaps and change things and yeah. give each other new input. And so we bake this dough. Yes, that <laughs> is the book. And and I think when we finish a book, um, we, there's not a single sentence in it that only one of us has written alone. Yeah. But, but sometimes so we argue, you know, I know I wrote <laughs> this word and you say, no way, I wrote it first. So it's, so we stopped with that because we don't know. No, we don't know. So, so a lot of coffee in the morning and then uh, <laughs> sitting by the computers writing. And the best thing, the best thing I know is when we have this electricity mm -hmm. in the room, when we are, the jazz. yeah, we, we are in the story and the story is in us. And, and sometimes I start to whisper because I, <laughs> when I write dialogue, I, it's unconscious, but I whisper my, my dialogue. And that is kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> Alexander starts... <laughs> and and, and, and he's, he's not gestures. aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> Very creepy. <laughs> what... what at what point does the email exchange happen? Are you are you sending like do you, let's say are you drafting a first draft of a chapter and then you email it or are you emailing it when it's partially done? Yeah. Is there any That's, uh, how it works? Yeah. Because uh, as we were talking about uh, whispering things here, uh, sometimes I only hear dialogue. I can't see the characters, but it's not a problem because I know Alexander is by my side, so <laughs> I keep on writing dialogue and then I say okay. 
that's it. I, I, I emailed Alexandra and after a while I get it back and then they have faces, they have bodies, they do things, they move carefully over thin ice or something. And, uh, and then I can continue. Then I see them and I can, you know, add complications and so forth. So it's, uh, it depends. Yeah, but, but the good thing with this is that we can always be on the top of inspiration in a way because we get feedback from each other all the mm. time. We are not stuck ever stuck because if we are we can just change text with each other or talk to each other because when i was a writer yes by my own uh, my first nine novels i wrote by my own uh, and i remember um it often happened that i had to take a break because it just stopped and i had to you know get some distance as so i took a walk or decided to continue the next day or something but when we write together I never have to do that because I just email my text and, and get something new and seeing, and it's it's full of new energy so, so it's just mm. the, the distance is always there you don't have to take these breaks because distance is another brain and another pair of eyes <laughs> fascinating Let's let's go back to let's say the very beginning. Uh, mm. Do do one of you come up with an idea or a premise or a situation? How does this how does this all start? I guess how does a new book start between the two of you? Well, I think it it starts with when we finish a book, we feel totally empty, yeah. uh, and we do you know boring things. We clean the house, and we, yeah. you know, everything that we skipped doing uh, yeah. <laughs> when we were finishing. So, uh, and we always feel that, is there a story? Uh, will there be ever a story again? And, and then after a while, maybe a couple of days, we start to yes. think about things. And, have, yeah, have, have an idea. What if this, or... Or, and, and then, then we, we start to, yeah. to talk and, the, and we test the new idea if it's big enough, if it's interesting enough to spend two years on. So. <laughs> so, so, so far there has always come inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I think with the idea, when we, when we try to analyze it and as Alexander said, is it complex enough? Can we, can we build this? really big story with a lot of twists and turns the story we love to write mm -hmm. um, and then after that when we feel yes we have the idea we start to do the plotting mm -hmm. and, uh, and and we do the plot very very thoroughly and that's where the idea tests uh, mm -hmm. really because when you write all these notes and put them on a wall you overview your story you will see if it's it, it, it works because you stand, we stand side by side and dream up the story together. Just talk, talk us through it again yeah, and again. Yeah, and we put notes all see, over the world. Yeah, behind us. There's yeah. no notes there now. <laughs> and then you will be sure this this is a story that will work. Mm -hmm. So and then we do the research and um, and uh, when we feel that we have. You know, because research always gives something extra mm. that we that surprises us mm. and that we'll we put in the story as well. And and then when we feel that okay, we have it, the scenes, mm. research, then we go to the computers and start writing. Then Alexander starts to whisper. <laughs> <laughs> but this might sound a bit disciplined, but I think it's necessary when you're two writers and as you know, as soon as you sit down and write your characters, they don't care about the plot. They don't care about the notes <laughs> on the wall. They do whatever they want to. So you have to you know, try to force them. But if it doesn't work, you have to change the notes mm -hmm. because in the end, the characters decide for themselves. <laughs> so it, it sounds as though you, you're both writing from a shared outline that you've developed, but you're also staying flexible to allow the story to go uh, where it wants yeah. to go. Does that sound about right? Yeah, so it's like, like swings between the these two sides. It's uh, the plot line, the, the disciplined thing, 
and the totally free thing. Mm, following the story. Yes. But I think for us, since we are two writers, we need to know what story we are writing. And that is why the detailed plot is so important to us. Uh, and if we feel that, okay, the flow, the characters, they want to do something different, then of course we talk to each other then. And uh, yeah. yeah, but it always wins. The, the will of the story in a way wins over our plot thinking. And if you listen to the story itself, it will give you something back because mm -hmm. it's always a cost to write. You have to, you know, give something to the story, but the story gives you something back too. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, a, it's a good a feel, feeling. Feeling yeah. of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> Do your daughters read your books? One of them. <laughs> <laughs> our middle Laura. But she's actually our first reader nowadays. Uh, she's a very good reader. Yeah. So she re she reads the manuscript and then she tells us the truth. <laughs> yeah, the truth. <laughs> As, as a daughter can, <laughs> and uh, then we rewrite it and then we uh, give it to our publishing house. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. I, I know yeah. that for writers who have never collaborated, it seems like a very scary, maybe mystical process. They, they quite can't yeah. figure it out. When you two decided to write as Lars Kepler, uh, how did you know it was going to work? Was there a moment where you felt like, okay, we can do this. Like we can, we can write these books, we can sell them, we can be successful commercially. Um, was there a moment where you felt that? I think it was when, when, when we got the idea of creating the pen name, uh, because it was kind of like something was suddenly free for us. Yes, and then almost immediately we have this idea to the first book, The Hypnotist. Mm -hmm. It's going to, the police has to co cooperate with the hypnotist. And we thought that was such a wonderful idea. <laughs> so it's, uh, yes, it was inspiration immediately. And since we felt such huge happiness writing together, we, we thought that this will work. And mm -hmm. when the manuscript was completed, we, we knew that we loved it. But you never know what the publishing house no, will say. No, of so, course. So but we, we knew no matter what, we will continue yeah. to write together. That was what we felt. And then obviously the publishing house loved it. Yeah, yeah. they did. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for us. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so you're in that room. You're sitting side by side. Um, is this, is this, uh, do you write in the morning? Do you write every single day? Um, or is it only when you're first drafting sort of what's that look like? No, we, we write every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. It's what Actually, we love to do. Even on holidays. I, I even write on Christmas. <laughs> yes. A little bit. Yes. Because I have to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, you know, I can't imagine a holiday or a vacation without writing. So mm. uh, we write all the time. But of course, when you have children, they don't have any respect for, for writing. So they just you know, come into our study and they talk and, and yeah. then we try to help them with the, the homework and uh, you know, then we have to make dinner. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we have natural things that happen that stops us from yeah. writing all the time. And you, it's good. Yes. Do you write to a deadline or a page count or anything like that? No, 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 no deadline, no page count. Uh, and that's strange because our books tend to be exactly the same uh, format. Like in Sweden, between 550 and 600 pages. And it's it's just our format. It's, uh, it's mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we have a certain time in ourselves we feel that uh, yeah it's the same with the chapters yeah we haven't decided how long they should be it's just a feeling of rhythm yeah so it's that's the that's what i meant yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> no, i said it <laughs> is is that innate sense something you've always had or is that something you've developed as you as you wrote more no, we developed it uh, mm -hmm. together uh, because when we wrote on our own, uh, it wasn't not at all like that. Mm -hmm. A novel could be 
120 pages or 500 or have no chapters or a lot of chapters. Yeah, but that's also a good thing with writing a series. So even if our books, they can all be read as standalone, mm. uh, but, but the whole series has a kind of long epic story about our main characters and, and we never have to say goodbye to them. Mm. Um, but be because when you write, you know, just single books as yeah. we did before, it was kind of almost depressing to to leave the manuscript and go on into the emptiness. <laughs> and now we have, we can always meet them again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But one thing that has become a little bit more complicated when you write a series is, after a while, um, uh, um, you have to. You know, invite new readers, mm. um, and you don't want to spoil the story for them. No, you, what has happened? Before? But you have to have a recap anyway for them, and you don't want to make the recap uh, boring for your loyal readers. So it's a balance between making the recap interesting and not spoiling the story, and it's become more and more complicated the longer the series. That's true. Well, I don't want to. That's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to start any trouble between you, but have either of you thought about writing a solo book again? <laughs> oh, uh, we have talked about it, yeah. and we said from the beginning that if one of us want to go back and write, if if one of us get a brilliant idea and mm. just have to write it, we we won't. Lars Kepler is not a prison; it's a, no. it's an opportunity. Exactly. And, uh, um, we are free to do whatever we want yeah. to do. <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible to force creativity, I think. So, so we have to have this feeling of freedom all the time. Well, it sounds like you two really have it figured out. Uh, it, it's wonderful <laughs> to hear how, how in sync you are. Uh, so maybe as we kind of wrap up the conversation, I'll, I'll ask you, you can both answer. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Alexander. <laughs> Uh, you, you're veterans of the industry. You've, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, there have been a lot of changes in publishing uh, over the past couple of years. What sort of uh, trends or, or uh, things are, are happening that you're paying attention to or that you're finding interesting that might be changes in the industry? Well, in Sweden, audiobooks are very big. It's, yeah. it's, it's almost all... half of the uh, business now. Mm. Um, so, and so, I think it's trend going to, to continue and become bigger and bigger. So it's streamed books. Mm. Uh, and and uh, that will change, I think, the market, but I, I really don't know how, because it's, it's very new and it's huge here in Sweden. Mm. Everybody streams books now. So in, a, in one way, it's fantastic because people who didn't identify themselves as readers now suddenly mm. listen to books mm. and f find new writers and everything. So I think that is amazing. Mm. And uh, yeah, but I don't know what it will do to the, to the publishing business. No, so never know, but... It's interesting. <laughs> so that is one trend. I don't know if you have... Found oh, no, I was uh, thinking about that too, so... Um, because it's huge here. Mm. Uh, I don't know, actually. Uh, the trends tend to go up and down. And, you know, as a writer, mm -hmm. you just have to do your, your thing. You can't you know, try to follow trends. No. No, I think that is for us, we write what we want to write, what we have to write. What we way. would love to read ourselves. Yeah. It's uh, only, you know, what we say to, to each other. We would love to read this book. It works for us. It hopefully works for some readers too. Yeah, and I think every reader is such a treasure. Mm -hmm. If we just have one reader, we have connected in a way yeah. in the well, same universe. Yeah, it's a way to communicate. Yeah. You know, it's a letter. Oh, what a lovely couple. I wanted to like have tea with them or something. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, so let's start with Zach. Uh, I'm starting with you because uh, you and I had a magical collaboration moment, much like a husband and wife do. So I wanted to ask you <laughs> if any of that, anything they talked about resonated. Yeah, it was I, one of the most interesting things to me was because uh, I, I, for some reason, I just couldn't 
part of me couldn't imagine doing this, but I also just think it'd be really cool is the fact uh, I just, the visual of them sitting next to each other and working was really interesting because obviously we live in, you and I live in different States. So we never, other than when we would like get together and plan, like we never really did that. So I thought that was, uh, that was really interesting, but I also like, I just think it takes some, um, and I mean, you kind of joked about it on the podcast about, you know, you, you, you and you guys came and do a shopping list together, <laughs> you know? So I just think being able to be married and work, on any level together and work on any sort of business, I think it would be really challenging. And I know people who've tried that and has failed. And I know some people who have been able to do it, but I think to be able to do that, but like be creatively involved in something and everything that goes along with the collaboration on one hand, yes, you have a lot of practice because being in a relationship and being in a marriage is a collaboration. But on the other hand, you know, it's it, this is a totally different thing. So, um, you know, kudos to them for sure to be uh, to be able to make it work. Yeah, I, I honestly I was hoping you would dig in a little bit more into their their actual process because they said that they wrote and then they emailed the files back and forth. But what I was trying to get a handle on is is who's actually writing what? Like, do they each take on a particular chapter? You know, like I write chapter one, you write chapter two, then we we swap and we we edit each other. Um, or is one person uh, writing particular characters out of the chapter and somebody else writing other ones? Um, I've worked with a lot of people and it's it's always like different variations of that and it's always cool to to hear how they're doing it. Um, so yeah, that, that was awesome. The, the other part that they brought out, um, is how they, they kind of feel like how they, they understand the length of the chapter or scene should be like the pacing and stuff. Like they instinctually understand that. Um, and I, I was listening to the, the Don Winslow interview you did when I was on the bus coming back home and, um, you know, he had brought up how he visualizes the page. Like he literally steps back and, and looks at that, that white space. And I, I think every author to a certain extent, you know, understands that, you know, like the, the, the faster a scene is moving, the more white space there is, the shorter the sentences are, that, that kind of thing, shorter the paragraph, shorter the chapters. Um, but, you know, you, a lot of, you know, you're kind of getting that out of, you know, some of these people. I mean, these guys sell a lot of copies of books and, you know, pacing is a huge part of that. And, you know, I just did this, this thing for Caller's Game and, you know, like people were bringing up how they just you know weren't able to put that book down you know until they got to the very end and like and it's kind of it sort of does that you know like it's it's like a roller coaster but i don't really give them a chance to breathe until the very end and if you open up caller's game and you flip through it you can see that the chapters are getting shorter and shorter as you get towards the end there's more and more white space you know it's a like a subconscious you know, thing going on uh, right along with the the text um so if you're writing you know for the first time or you're learning how to do this you know take pay really you know close attention to that sort of thing um because it, it tends to slip by you. It's not something that, that really, you know, unless somebody points it out, you may not notice it, but it's extremely important. Yeah. The, uh, the, the other thing that I thought was interesting was, um, you know, they don't write in English. So the, so the translation must have been really well because I, I, I moved through the book. I was not pulled out by a, by an awkward phrase or a, or a strange word. Uh, JD, how do you, or how does your publisher do the translation? Like, how do you know it's a quality translation? Usually the, the translators that don't contact me are the ones that seem to do the best. Um, and let me clarify that a little bit. You know, like I'm in um, 30 plus languages and, you know, most of my books have some form of humor in them. And I find that humor is probably the hardest thing to translate between different languages. Um, so the trend, you know, I, I write the book in English um, and then, you know, that copy goes off to the, you know, the various publishers around the world. They hand it off to their translator and then they just start working from that. So I usually start getting emails from the translator, you know, to explain particular things, you know, like they'll say, I, I understand it to mean this, you know, and it could be a funny thing. It might be something else, but like, I understand it to mean this is my understanding correct. And, and you kind of have to, to work with them on that. Um, my Spanish translator is, is phenomenal. And I, I never hear from this person. Um, they just, they do a really good job. Now that the flip side of that is in Italy, the fourth monkey was translated and that was a really bad translation. Um, and you can see it in the reviews. You saw it, you know, from the reader standpoint, you know, same book, you know, it's a bestseller in a gazillion different countries, but in Italy it, it, it did horrible. And, you know, so the, the general thinking is it's because of the translation. So they're actually going back and they're redoing the translation with somebody else, uh, to try and put it back out. Um, translators in general, like I was, yeah, just to kind of 
zig a little bit here. Like they're, I'm totally amazed by them. Like when I was in Spain, I had a translator that was traveling with me and she was able to translate in real time, meaning she was listening to me speak in English. And while I was still talking to her in English, she was you know, basically repeating what I said in Spanish to the person sitting next to me and vice versa. I've got no idea how somebody is able to do that. Like the, the fact that their brain is capable of doing that just completely blows my mind. And it, like, I really want to learn more about that and understand it. Um, but you know, like it, it, it's a gift for sure. But translating the written word is, is just as difficult. And if it's not done properly, it can hurt you. If it's done well, it, it, it helps. Um, Swedish is one of those languages, certain languages do translate better. Um, you know, there's a lot of authors, you know, from Sweden that have done very well in, in uh, English. Um, and that, that's partly why it's just one of those languages that tends to work really well. Um, but yeah, I, I think process wise, it's probably the same for, for them. You know, that's their, their native tongue. That's what they write in Swedish and then they send it off and it just, it goes from there to everybody else. But it's, it's really cool how all that happens. And that's one of the reasons why books take, you know, two years to come out from the time you hand them off to your editor too. Oh, that makes sense. I was, I was curious about that when that came up too, but that makes, they have to get those translations done. <laughs> so yeah. That, that and, totally. and, and honestly, and then audiobooks, you know, like yeah. in, in all those different languages too, it, it takes a long time. Yeah, and I'm I'm I would think too though that the fact that they do have a pretty good grasp on English probably does help to a degree. I mean, because I know, and they mentioned it. I mean, uh, I mean, most of my favorite bands are from Sweden, so like, and I know that they pretty they all speak English, so I know uh, that they. Uh, and as I said in the interview, you know, they they most people there do speak English, uh, and or have an, and have an understanding of it. So I, I would think that helps too, because like you said, I think that. Um, if you like, I can totally understand what you're saying about how, especially humor and things can get lost and like cultural touchstones and stuff like that, like that aren't in other, uh, cultures and, and stuff. I can totally understand how that stuff would get, would get really messed up and lost. So, yeah, I, I also wanted to, um, I, I want, I'll start with you, Zach. I wanted to ask you guys about this. They, they talked about, writing some really dark stuff where they kind of had to like get up and walk away from the page for a while. Um, have you had that experience? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I, I've, I've had one of my earlier books was like a straight up horror book. And, um, and I, I've actually had this experience a couple times. Um, and it was definitely in my darker books where it just, it got to the point where it was like, it drained my energy <laughs> to keep, to keep going um, and I would definitely have to take more frequent breaks and I couldn't stay in that story super long. Um, and, and so, yeah, that it hasn't happened to me in a while. Um, but, uh, it, it was, I, I wrote again, there was a couple things early on. One, uh, t one thing was uh, two of the things were based on some stuff that actually happened. And then one thing was just really dark and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing when that happens. <laughs> like it's, it, it's, it's very strange. Now, has that happened either of you guys? Yeah, I mean, me for sure. When I was writing the 4MK trilogy, you know, like I, I killed a lot of girls in those books and you know, I didn't have a daughter at that point and now mm -hmm. I do. And like that, that throws a whole different perspective on it. But I, I did a ton of research while I was writing them. I, I actually went to a couple of prisons and talked to, to actual killers um, to try and get in their head. Oh, wow. Um, read a ton of books and, and like that just, it put me in such a really nasty, dark place, you know, like mentally, like I was able to switch it off, but you know, just having all those thoughts, you know, it's almost like my brain brain was just dirty and needed a good, you know, pressure cleaning or something when I finished those, those titles off. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wrote, um, she has a broken thing where her heart should be. It was kind of a way for me to just write something a little lighter and more fun just to kind of clear all that out. Um, and I'm honestly getting a lot of pressure right now to revisit that, that trilogy and those characters. And, and that's the only thing that's really holding me back. Like, do I really want to put myself in that place for, you know, another six to eight months to, to crank out another one? Maybe Italian prisons aren't like that. Maybe that's where things got lost. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. No, I could, dude, I could, with that, I could, uh, I could, uh, sitting down and like talking to somebody who is in jail, who killed somebody like that's, I could definitely see how that would make you just, and, and you mentioned the killing girls and stuff and like, you know, all three of us are girl dads. So I, I know that, um, that whole thing that, that had to be rough too. Uh, what about you, Jay? Yeah, I haven't. I, I it's one of the reasons why I don't think I could write like um serial killer fiction for that reason yeah. like I don't know if I could go into that space for that long um I've had to walk away when I've when I've written about an experience I've had that I'm that I'm giving a character something that's really close to what I've experienced that's that's kind of made me you know get up and walk away or 
or get emotional about something. Um, but I, it's for that reason why, like, I haven't really like even the horror stuff I've written hasn't been like slasher horror. It's been more like you know paranormal, metaphysical horror, and I think that's that's part of the reason. Like, I it's hard to go to that place. It's really hard. I don't, I don't know how you did it for a whole trilogy, JD. Well, the one thing that really got me, like sitting down talking to the, some of those people, you know, the, the crimes are horrific for sure, but you know, they they got off on telling me about it. You know, like they were they were excited that you know they were able to sit down and, and share their particular story with somebody, and like that's the part that scared me. Like they they didn't, you know, a lot of these people didn't have any kind of remorse. They didn't feel bad about what they did. They were excited to to sit down and just rattle off about their their particular crime. Um, that to me, you know, it just it, it painted a really nasty picture of humanity to me for for a little while. Um, and and a couple of them, you know, like I, I got letters, you know, like after I left, you know, one guy kept writing to me for almost two years, um, and trying to call. Um, you know, they, they, when they, they're in prison, they have to call collect, you know, so you can deny those, those charges. You don't have to take the, the, the phone call, but like, it just, it wouldn't go away, you know? And again, another reason just to, to not go back to it. Wow. Well, let's leave that there. Uh, any other great takeaways from, uh, from the Lars, Lars Kepler interview? They, they brought up audiobooks and, and how it makes up oh, yeah. half, half the sales in Sweden. And this is one of the things that I've been really digging into as I visit some of these different countries or talk to my foreign publishers. Like, it, it's all over the board. Um, you know, like it, in Spain, like the, nobody listens to audiobooks over there. It, it's like it's all print copies. They, very few people download ebooks. They all want print copies. And you see it. You know, you walk down the street and there are bookstores everywhere, you know, like physical stores, and, and people are carrying actual books around. Um, a lot of Europe is that way. You know, you still see a lot of bookstores, a lot of physical books, but then you go to, you know, Canada or you're in the U.S. and, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite. Um, and audiobooks is the same kind of thing. It, it seems to be picking up worldwide. It doesn't really matter where you go. Um, but I think in a lot of these countries, there's a little bit of a lag. So I think we're going to see it in places like Spain, you know, probably, you know, four or five years down the road. It seems like they're just a little bit behind on, on the trend. Um, but audiobooks in, in general, if you're not participating in that as an author, you really need to be. It's a, it's a huge market. It's definitely growing. Um, obviously, a, a little bit of a cash outlay at the, the onset if you're trying to do it on your own. But it's, you know, for the most part, it's worth it. Awesome. Well, cool. Uh, great. Again, talking to, to the couple known as Lars Kepler, Alex and Alexandra. thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> they were both Alex. <laughs> Made the interview easy. Uh, so, yeah. Um, what's on the docket for next week? Who do we got, J.D.? We've got Emily St. John Mandel. Um, so she's the author of six novels, The Glass House, uh, obviously, obviously Station Eleven, um, currently out on HBO. Her latest is called Sea of Tranquility. Um, she's been translating into 30-some languages, lives in New York. Um, incredibly talented woman. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.